How do they get away with it? The sports interviewers and their unbelievably crass questions. So you've just scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. How do you feel? So Novak Djokovic, you've just won the men's singles title at Wimbledon with prize money of £2.25 million. How do you feel? Where do they get trained? Where do they get their PhD in utter banality? TV reporters and their probing questions that get to the guts of the issue. So your house has just been burnt to the ground and your entire business, built up over three generations, has gone up in smoke. How do you feel? You can just imagine them with the ten lepers of Luke's gospel. So you've been suffering for years from a dreaded skin disease that ostracises you from the rest of society and condemns you to a life of isolation, pain and misery. And now you've just been cured. How do you feel? How do you think I feel? Elated, ecstatic, over the moon. Well, Gary, I just like to take my healings one healing at a time. Healings 10, leprosy nil. It was a good result for the lads. We would have settled for five at half time. So nine go off to celebrate, and one comes back to say thanks. Nine go off to celebrate, and one comes back to say thanks. About average. For we don't remember. The good intentions get swallowed up, washed away in the excitement, and the discipline of thanks, the decencies of thanking, get left to one side, forgotten in the thrill of the new situation. So, leper number one, tell me why you did not go back to the healer to thank him. Well, I was in a hurry to make up for lost time. I had a lot of living to catch up on. I... I did mean to. I did mean to. Leper number three. Thank God for being healed from the disease he blighted my life with for so long. Who are you kidding? I owe God nothing. In fact, he owes me compensation for the losses incurred in my wasted years. Sorry, but I'm not in the thanking game. I'm still in the bitterness business. Leper number five. Well, I certainly thanked God plenty when I was healed. I just didn't think it was necessary to make a fuss of the agent of change, the healer, the, the channel of grace. I thanked God and missed out the middleman. I may be a leper, sorry, an ex-leper, but I'm not a monster. I know where my responsibilities lie. Number seven, leper number seven. Well, I was in two minds about being healed, to be quite honest. It's all a bit unsettling, really. You know, when you are what you are, then you have a, a place in a system and you have a structure for your life, a settled community, even if it is a community of grotesques. At least you know where you stand or, or crouch or lie down. But, but now, now a whole uncertain future opens up. Will I truly be accepted back into society? I can no longer be a beggar, so how will I live? What does the future hold? Has it really been a good move? I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Leper number eight. 
Well, as you can appreciate, there were certain procedures to be gone through, formalities to be dealt with, and by the time I'd dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, when I got back, the man was gone. Leper number ten. How did I feel about being healed from leprosy? I felt joy. I felt awe. I felt wonder. I felt amazement. I felt the deepest, deepest gratitude. I felt I'd been born again, given a new life, given, given back my old life. I felt a huge tidal wave of gratitude and I wanted to thank this strange man who had the power and the love to do this, to make me new. We feel uneasy when we read about the nine lepers who for whatever reasons, good or not so convincing, never bothered to say thanks. Because we suspect that littering our story are lots of unsaid thank yous to people who've done us favours, dug us out of the mire, watched our back, saved our life, and we never really said thank you properly. I went back to the accident and emergency unit at the Royal Infirmary a few days after my car accident some years back. A young lady dazzled by the sun in Scotland, ironically, dazzled by the sun, had rammed into the back of my car and nearly killed me. So I went back to thank the paramedic Darlene, who'd held my hand all the way up to the hospital with the blue light flashing and the siren going, the IV tube and the neck brace. And to thank the young daughter, doctor who had stitched me up, if that's the phrase I want, to say thank you. But neither was on duty the time I went. I stopped trying. I never did get round to meeting them. A bit of unfinished business there. And I guess we may all have those loose ends floating around our story, letters never sent, calls never made, a whole library of I meant to's. Being thanked is lovely. I remember how in one week alone I got a card from a bride, a letter from the guild, a warm handshake and a whispered thank you from a bereaved husband. That same week our congregations got letters from the Bethany Trust for the Homeless thanking them for our harvest gifts. Our church secretary, Annette, got a bunch of flowers from the guild for doing a, an extra wee job for them, and I thanked our church officer profusely for cutting the man's grass again. A cornucopia of appreciation, ratcheting up the feel-good factor. It was a good week for thank yous. A journalist friend was telling me, that she had spent a week at a bedside vigil close to her desperately ill twin sister in a hospital in London. Her sister pulled through and is heading towards full recovery. My friend said, I've never been so grateful for anything in my life. I suppose you'll feel you want to go and light a candle in some cathedral somewhere, I wondered. Uh, maybe, she said with a shrug. It isn't just what you do, what politeness requires, an obligation to write to Auntie Mabel and thank her for the gloves. It's an affirmation of worth and value, a recognition of someone's contribution, a celebration of our champions. It oils the wheels, it demonstrates appreciation, it stops us becoming coarse and ugly and inconsiderate. How it hurts people 
to be taken for granted. And how uplifted and valued people feel when they are thanked. The loyal daughter who patiently tends to her old mother. The wife who cares to the point of exhaustion for her sick husband. The church worker who doggedly and faithfully keeps one show or another on the road. They don't go looking for it, for our thanks, but they are blessed, affirmed and honoured by it. And by the same token, they are demeaned by our neglect. If we even unintentionally make it seem, allow it to seem that what they are doing is being taken for granted. And this isn't just about some kind of Dale Carnegie niceness, but about respect for ourselves and respect for other people on whom we depend, without whose cooperation, generosity and sometimes sacrifice, we would be in deep trouble. Living in Geneva, it's sometimes easy to forget the debt we owe to the people who made the peace and the delight by which we are surrounded, in which we find that spirit of thanksgiving can remind us to make an appointment with the past to which we are indebted as if as a nation, if as individuals we forget to thank those whose life and death struggle with evil bought us freedoms and the tolerances we now enjoy if we let that happen then we are degraded in our stature as human beings by that very dereliction It's about remembering to say the thank yous that ought to be said to the people to whom they ought to be said. There's a haunting song from the 70s by Mike and the Mechanics when a young man speaks of his regret that he didn't say the right things to his father when there was time to say them. And now the moment is gone for his father is dead. I wish I could have told him in the living years. Now there is only silence and regret and a terrible gaping void of unsaid truths, gratitude not expressed and missed opportunities to make things better, to make things right. The song urges us with its discreet pain to make sure that we say it now, now before it's too late and all we're left with are the bitter ashes of regret. We're rightly a little shocked by the indifference shown by the nine lepers so caught up in themselves that they can't even be bothered to thank Jesus for his miracle. Yet we need to be reminded time and again of our responsibility to thank God for the countless blessings we enjoy. In the old days we learned that when families would sit for a meal together and say grace before the meal. That's more often seen in old-fashioned Western movies these days than in the homes of our community. And yet, as a discipline, as a a way of getting the focus right, the basics right, it served as a powerful pointer to our debt to the generous provision of God and our right attitude to those gifts. If we just take the money and run, if we shrug and get on with life without a heart open to wonder and a mind aware of our indebtedness, then we become ungracious and abrasive ourselves and something unworthy takes over our demeanour. Why do we wait till people are coping with all the confused signals and emotions that go with retirement before we thank them properly? Why is the politician 
not a statesman until he's dead. Why do we wait till the funeral to assess, affirm and applaud the contribution someone has made to our story? Why do we run the risk of waiting until it's too late to say the things we feel? That's a high-risk strategy. A thankful heart is about completing the circle. A fine and right response over against a mean-spirited and grasping attitude. And nowhere is that lack of thank yous more prevalent than in our connections with the divine. The old hymn nudges us in the right direction. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Poor God. Poor God. He gets the blame for so much. He gets the full weight of humanity's complaints when things go wrong for people. And so little thanks for the wonderful world we live in, for the cost of his love and the profligate provision of his grace. He doesn't need our thank yous any more than Jesus needed the thanks of the nine lepers who forgot to come back, but it would have been the right thing for them to do. It would have made them feel good as they did it. It would have brought its own blessedness. It was my privilege during my radio days to interview a former Guild National President, Mary Sherrod, about her time working on the Enigma Project at Bletchley Park. Code-breaking of immense complexity and crucial importance during the darkest days of the war. I asked her if, at the end of it all, having with others enabled the war to be ended two years sooner because of what the code-breakers had achieved, if at the end they had been thanked, these people who had spent themselves to the point of breakdown on the Enigma project. Did Churchill pop by and say, thanks everybody for all you did? There was a wistfulness in her reply, an aching, sad wistfulness. No, she said, no, we were never thanked, really. No one was really thanked. You could hear the sigh from deep in her soul, the pain of being taken for granted. We need to make sure that we're not also caught up in the busyness of church, that we forget to acknowledge those we owe and the extent to which we owe them. Never be so busy with our busy lives that we don't take time to thank God and understand the extent to which we owe him. Maybe we could all start by today at lunch, pausing a moment before we eat to say thank you. We might find that a moment of such profound liberation that we want to do it all the time. It may not seem much. It may not be the revolution, but it starts the process. It sets the rudder for a new direction, a wiser encounter with the goodness of God, a wiser encounter with the goodness of God, a clear understanding of our blessedness. So why don't we try it today? Try it today. You'll just need to watch out for that intrepid reporter leaning over your buff bourguignon with his microphone and saying, So, you said grace over Sunday lunch for the first time in years. How did it feel? <laughs>